Good morning. We welcome you to the services of the Boonville Church of Christ. You can uh, see our theme for the year on the screen, the power of one. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is sort of an emotional day for the Boonville area. Excited about winning basketball teams and then concerned about the world situation. Isn't it great that we can begin this day with worshiping our God? In our services today, Brother Bo Gross will be leading our singing. Brother John Gardner has our opening prayer. Brother Guy Gardner has our scripture reading. Brother Ken Forrest will have the lesson of the day. Brother J.T. Beard will lead us as we observe the Lord's Supper. And then we will have announcements and our closing prayer. Would you bow with me, please? Our loving Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can pause this morning to worship Thee. We pray that all that we do would be pleasing in Your sight. We know, Father, that You are ultimately in control of everything. And we pray Your providential care on our world situation. We pray that we would continue to have the opportunity to worship Thee in freedom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. First song this morning, number 578. Let's all sing together. We will glorify the King of peace. We will glorify.
pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us to come out and study your word, sing these songs of praise, and, Father, hear another lesson from your, your word. Father, we pray that you be with the elders of our congregation, help them, and, Father, be with them and let them look to you for guidance and decisions they make. Father, we also ask that you be with the people of Ukraine. Father, be with them as they're having terrible war over there. Father, help us as a country to help those people. Father, we also pray that you be with the ones at uh, the military. Father, be with them and protect them as they protect us. Father, we also ask you be with the ones that mentioned being sick. Father, be with them and be with the ones taking care of their needs. And Father, if it be in keeping with our will, we pray that you will restore their portion of health they so desire. Father, we also thank you for your son Jesus who came and died on this earth for our sins. And Father, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you'd like to mark the invitation song, it'll be number 911. 911. Our song before our scripture reading this morning will be the screen only to light the fire. If it's convenient for you, please stand as we sing this song. Scripture reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. Thanks, God. Good morning, everybody. Isn't it beautiful today? So nice. I hope that we're beyond all the super cold weather. Maybe that's true. But if not, then we will just endure and look forward to the spring coming very soon. And it is, it is an exciting time. Championship, and, and not only that, both the boys and the girls winning. If you're part of that Boonville school system, I'm sure you're very excited. But I know we have kids that play on other teams, other locations, and you know what? We're proud of you, too. You give a lot of effort and determination in the things that you commit yourself to, and while somebody has to win a championship, still it's the, it's the commitment that you make to the sport, or if you're in band, the commitment you make there, or maybe you're on some kind of academic team. 
Listen, when you are committed to all that you have and using the skills that you have been blessed with in order to accomplish some great goal, that is a reflection on the rest of us. So when you do good, we all feel kind of a, I don't know, a lift. So thank you for that. I understand that Chopper Taylor's mother is in the hospital this morning, and so we're going to have a a prayer for her as we start. But also, I just, I like to begin this part of our worship with a prayer because I, I want us all to be reminded of what we're doing here. This is not just some glorified Bible class. We are here to worship God in our meditation upon His Word today. And so I hope, I hope as, as best you can as is within your ability to do so, that you'll be able to get some of the distractions out of your mind that might otherwise have been there and really think about what God wants us to know today. And I'm thankful for the privilege to share some things with you. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for this time granted us to assemble on this first day of the week to worship you in spirit and in truth. And I've already heard some people voice it that they were looking forward to today, the day that we could be together as a family and worship you and praise you for all the good things that you do. We're thankful, Father, that you walk with us and we can be called your children. Lord, thank you for this time, this opportunity to be in your word Pray for those who are Christians today that it will only serve to strengthen our faith. And for those who are not yet yours, I pray that perhaps your word will touch their heart and motivate them to make a commitment to serve you through Jesus today. I pray, Lord, that you'll bless those who are sick, and there are so many. And we thank Sandy Bonham who struggles with her treatment for cancer. We're praying for her deliverance. And we also pray for Chopper's mother, who is sick today. We pray your blessings on her, and that if it's your will, her hospital stay will not be lengthy, and she can return home. Again, Lord, we're, we're just grateful for this time. We can pull ourselves out of the distractions of this world and set our hearts solely on worshiping, glorifying you. In Jesus' name, amen. Like this text, it kind of comes on the heels of another text that we looked at just a couple of weeks ago, the preceding verse, actually, where we talked specifically about the one body and being members of that one body. Here, he takes it, I think, kind of to the next level. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. It is being baptized into the one body that shows us the unifying nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That idea itself, Paul is tapping into 
Because right here in the Corinthian church, there were already some problems. Now think about it for a moment. We've already stressed the fact that we're one body. And even though we're individual members, we're still baptized into Christ Jesus. So we are all one that way. But practically speaking, that's not what was happening in the church there. So he kind of digs in on that idea of the oneness that we should be enjoying in the body of Christ as a result of our baptism. And he carries that theme all the way through this book. In fact, when he started the book, that was the emphasis. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 at verse 13, he asks some, well, they're supposed to be rhetorical questions, but given the situation, maybe people had to think. Question, is Christ divided? Of course, the obvious answer is no, but they were a divided church. So there might be silence. Maybe that was sensed as a rebuke. Uh, was Paul crucified for you? Now, wait a minute. We know Paul's still living. He had been crucified. And we know Jesus was crucified. The answer to that question is no, but what's your implication? Well, the implication is, wait a minute. You know what? You are following men. Are those men at the same level as the commitment that you made to Jesus? Because you made that commitment to Jesus because he was crucified for you. He died for you. You know what? Following after somebody like Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that, that doesn't equate. So once again, come back to the central notion. We are one in Jesus Christ. We are not divided. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? You know, some people thought, wait a minute, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to be one in Jesus, but I'm going to be a devout disciple of Peter because here one of his lieutenants baptized me or one of the followers of Apollos, you know, that guy was amazing in the church and very evangelistic and so he's the one who baptized me and boy, I'm committed. Wait, stop. The whole import of this questioning was, do you remember where your commitment is supposed to be? Do you remember where our unity is to be found? You are dividing yourselves and by that insulting the very tenets of our faith. No division, only unity. Recognizing the crucifixion of Jesus and, and giving our devotion wholly to Him. Realizing that in baptism, it isn't the invoking of the names of those who are actually doing the act itself, but calling on the name of the Lord. Remember where you've started from. Remember what's important. Be united together and not divided carnally. In fact, this argumentation really is about a carnal-mindedness and a spiritual-mindedness. A carnal-mindedness may go through the motions of the activities of a church, but, but they aren't to the glory of God. They're just activities that more often than not are really designed to glorify self. Carnal, he says, forget that. What we're truly after is to be so united and so one in Jesus Christ that all glory goes to Him. 
And any, any hint of division is going to be quickly eradicated because all of us recognize not just commitment, but the devotion that we have made to Jesus. Now, that's exactly what our text, here several chapters later, is getting to. It, it's stated in a different sort of way, but the impact is the same. He says, look, whether you are Jew or Greek, whether you are slave or free, all of us drink into one spirit. No matter where you came from, no matter who you are, no matter what position you hold, how you identify yourself on the outside, carnally, fleshly, materially, in a worldly sense, however you define yourself, that goes out the window when it comes to our, as he puts it here, of drinking into one spirit. Today, what I want us to do is to understand that particular aspect of our oneness. Just exactly how is it that the Spirit is involved in our conversion? Because I'm, I'm of this mind, and I'm pretty sure that's what Paul was driving at, that if we truly saw that picture, if we understood kind of the behind the scenes mechanism of our salvation, then all these petty comparisons, all of these carnal notions would be set aside because they would be seen as so insignificant. So let's talk first about that initial phrase there. By one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Some of those words we've already considered, right? We've talked about what it is to be baptized, and there is one baptism. We, we know what it is to talk about the body. There is one body. Emphasis again on, in this trend, the one spirit. Now, within the theme that we're using through the year, we're talking about the power of one. Here is another aspect of the oneness that we find in Jesus Christ that sets us apart from everybody else and brings about the empowerment that is necessary to overcome the world. By one spirit... You're all baptized into one body. What, what is it? What was the mechanism by which we were baptized into one body? He says that it was by one spirit. Here's the thing about our baptism. Now I'll tell you, right over here is what we call the baptistry. <laughs> it's where our baptisms take place. Don't know, I think I've done this for you before, but hear that? There's water in it. It's ready for a baptism. It's a physical thing, right? That's physical water. And if you were to be baptized today, your physical body would stand right there. My physical body would be standing right beside it. I would physically dip you in the water till you're submerged, and then you would raise up out of that water. There would be a physical act to take place, a physical thing that all of us who are in attendance could witness. But what the Spirit does in that process right there is take something that is physical, something that I can see, 
an act that can be quantified. We talk about being buried in the water and lifted up out of the water. Practical, actual things that take place. The Holy Spirit takes what is a physical act right there and translates that, transforms it into something of a spiritual nature. Let's look at a few passages. One of them that, I don't know, it amazes me. I read it and I know what it says, but, you know, just to think about sonship with God, that's, wow, me? Seriously? It's what the scripture says as a result of this spiritual transformation that takes place here. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, I don't know if you noticed it initially, but I just want to quickly walk you through this. He also, in this passage, is making a comparison between carnal physical things and spiritual things. He talks about our sonship, but not in terms of a physical manifestation of that, but in terms of adoption. God has chosen us as a result of our obedience to the gospel. And as a result of that, our knowledge of the transformation that takes place as a result of that one spirit involved in this conversion process, that the result is, yeah, I become a son of God, but more than that, I also become an heir. An heir who is a joint heir with Christ. And he says, because of that knowledge, knowing what is coming, knowing that the commitment to Jesus far exceeds anything that is an experience on this earth. Yes, even when I compare it to physical suffering, he says the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. In other words, what happens to us spiritually, the transformation that's taking place to become a child, a son of God, far outweighs anything that the world might bring along to take us down. In the book of Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, kind of talks about the process that's going place, going, taking place here in this water. He talks about us being buried with Christ. And then after we have been buried with Christ, he talks about us being raised, but we're being raised according to the works of God, which is predicated upon our faith. And he says that very same thing that's happening here is the self-same thing that happened when Jesus rose from the dead. The very resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah, you know, I see a physical body coming up out of this water. I can physically see that. But what is happening right here is a spiritual transformation. A person is dying spiritually, leaving behind the old man of sin and rising up out of that water. A resurrection to new life is taking place right before our eyes. A spiritual transformation. 
In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, he says there's an antitype which also now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, in many of our English translations, you'll see that there is actually a, a parenthesis, a parenthetical statement in that. The actual statement is baptism through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That makes sense, right? Because that's exactly what baptism is. That's what's taking place when a person is buried in that water. They die and then they're resurrected with Christ, with Jesus Christ, just as when he raised from the grave. Okay, so back up. He says what's happening there, parenthetically, is not the removal of the filth of the flesh. A person isn't in that water physically, actually physically in the water, taking a bath. You know, it isn't that we get them in that water, slosh them around, use a little bit of soap, scrub them good, and then they're free from sin. There isn't enough physical scrubbing that you could do to remove sin. His point is, you know what, it isn't that. It isn't the washing away of sins, literally, as though I were taking a bath. He says it is the spiritual component of that. It is the answer of a good conscience toward God. In other words, God said, if you will submit in obedience to the gospel, if you will believe that my son died, he was buried, he rose again the third day, if you'll believe that and go through the process of that, the physical process of being buried in that water, then in return... I will do what I said I will do. Well, now, wait a minute. What did he say he would do? Well, uh, one passage would be Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Most of us know that. That crowd on the day of Pentecost wanted to know what they needed to do to be saved. And Peter and the other apostles say, well, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the remission of sins. You want your sins forgiven? Yes. Okay, then submit yourself to this. Obey the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. How is that, how is that made? I mean, how do I do that? Well, through repentance and baptism. Be buried in that water. Die with Jesus Christ. Rise up out of that water a new creature, leaving your sins behind. This process that takes place right here, baptism, I don't know how you feel about it when you're the witness to a baptism but I know how I feel about it. When I see a baptism take place, every single one of them blows me away. And here's why that's true. Some people will say, oh, Ken, you know, childbirth is like a miracle from God. Peace. Uh, childbirth is amazing, you know. That's amazing. But childbirth is a natural process, and I, I don't mean to bust anybody's bubble. If you want to call it a miracle, peace. But it's a natural process. It's, it's not supernatural. It's not a miracle. Every human that's come onto the planet, except for Adam and Eve, were all born in that same way. However, when this happens right here, this is as close to a miracle as any of us are ever going to see. 
Because standing right there at the edge is a person who is dead in sin. They're going to come over here in this general area. They're going to be buried in that water. And when they come up out of that water, they're going to be alive spiritually. They're going to have left behind the dead spiritual person who committed those sins, and they're going to rise up a new creature. Now, right before our eyes, that has happened by the power that is vested in the Holy Spirit. Wow. And the thing is, it doesn't matter what race you are, what your background is. When one submits in faithful obedience to the gospel and goes through this process, the Spirit making that transformation as a result of the commitment that we are making and of the death that has ensued, then when we rise up, well, you know what happens. That was verse 12 of this text. That was the place where we became one. Where all of us as individuals through that power, become one in Jesus Christ. For as there are many members in one body, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Christ, the one body, made up of the many who have been joined together, the perfect description of unity, as in the display of the gospel. Okay, so I think about just the mode, right? The means, the mechanism of salvation, of conversion. I, I can see in that process kind of how the Spirit works, and, and especially when we describe it in terms of the baptism itself. I don't, I don't physically see a transformation take place. I only see a person get wet and come back out of that water, but spiritually, spiritually, an entire transformation, a metamorphosis, if you will, is taking place right there before my eyes. Well nigh unto a miracle. Okay? By one spirit. But I want to take that the next level. And that is, I, I see the mechanism that's happening by one spirit. And, and by the way, it's not, for instance, there isn't just some, any old baptism that you want to have to be joined into any old kind of body that exists by any old kind of a spiritual mechanism. That is not what the text is teaching us. I am entering into the one body through the one baptism by means of the power of the one spirit. That is the process. So talk to me, not just about that, but also how I'm going into one spirit. Because that was the, I don't know, kind of, a, kind of the part of that text that really got my attention. In fact, he says, you know, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, we are drinking into one spirit. I just like, what? Drink into one spirit? What would that mean? Well... Kind of interesting, but a lot of people, if I, if I ask you to kind of parse that out and give me your impression of what that means, some people would just kind of go with the flow in this and say, well, he must be talking about the Spirit. You know, people drink the Spirit. 
that's, I guess, a general notion people would have. It just partake of the Spirit and then this kind of thing happens. That's not what this says. Here we're going to drink into the Spirit. In other words, something has become the mechanism by which we enter into the Spirit in order to go through this transformation. What on earth is it that we would be drinking? I would suggest to you that the thing that we all partake of, the thing that all of us as children of God go through in order that the Spirit can make this transformation in us is the baptism itself. Now, it's kind of in the wording, and let's look at it from, I guess, another perspective. The verb itself, to drink. To drink actually speaks of like an irrigation system. (laughs) You know what an irrigation system does. Like if I own a piece of property, I'm wanting to plant something in. Maybe want a bunch of corn or maybe soybeans, something like that. But I've not got adequate water. I can set up an irrigation system. And all that simply means is I'm looking at an area that doesn't have sufficient water and I'm going to carry an abundance of water to that area. It might come through tubing, some kind of plumbing. Uh, In old days, they built aqueducts, or you you could dig trenches in order to supply your water, kind of run like little streams through the planting area. However you do it, the idea of irrigating it is that I'm going to flood this area with water. I'm going to see to it that it gets an abundance of what it needs you know that the process by which I'm going to be saved is obedience to the gospel. I'm going to be buried in that water to have my sins washed away. But it is at that point, that that point at which my sins are being washed away, that that which did not exist before is going to be flooded into my soul. And that is the idea of the flooding into my soul through the act of baptism the one spirit. Now, Acts chapter 2, we looked at a moment ago, chapter 2, verse 38. We saw that those folks were told to repent and be baptized, every one of them, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And then he adds this, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Through the process of baptism, literally their souls were being irrigated They were being filled with something that at one time did not exist there and now is there with great abundance. And as a result of the presence of that in their souls, there is a transformation that takes place. Yes, they went through the process of baptism, but the Spirit is what makes that transformation possible. Here's something that's kind of interesting from the first century. Actually, the first few centuries, you won't read this in the scriptures. This is traditional. But I couldn't help but think how that what I read the early Christians did very much sounds like what we do today. So let me me kind of walk through what typically happens here. We offer an invitation. Somebody responds. They want to be baptized. Okay, they've repented of their sins. They've 
take an investment of themselves. They're really going to be committed. They need to have their sins washed away. So they respond. They come up here. We maybe take their confession. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then we carry them into the area back here. They change out of their regular street clothes into a garment that's waterproof. They come over here. They stand in the water as I described for you a moment ago. There is the declaration of their commitment to Jesus. We baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They rise up in newness of life. They come out of there. We wrap them in a, a white towel. They dry off. They come out. We rejoice. In the first few centuries, when someone obeyed the gospel, very similar. They came forward, they made their confession. But there's a little, little difference here in the mindset of those who are the witnesses of a spiritual transformation that's about to take place. They thought through that entire process that I just described for you and saw in it an example of actually what's happening, not just physically, but every step of it had a spiritual significance to it. For instance, in that, in that confession, there was, there was the connection that everybody made. You know what? I once made that very same confession as they are making this moment, and I also confirm that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then when they went and they got out of their street clothes, it was the image in the mind of those observers, those who, who were present as this process is taking place. You know what? When I took those clothes off, that was, in effect, the taking off of that old man, getting rid of those old clothes and getting free of that sin. And then carrying to the water, just that moment of reconciliation where the person is put under that water in their death spiritually and rise up in newness of life anticipating eternal life someday. A great chorus of amens and acclamation to the glory of God. And then that person would leave the watery grave and would be covered with a white robe to symbolize the fact that their sins were gone and now they were free from the burden of sin. But that's not it. Finally, they would come to where the church was. And instead of the church just kind of sitting in the pew, ready to move on to the Lord's Supper, the whole body would come and surround them in a depiction of the spiritual thing that was happening in that moment. That one member, that one soul that's now been saved is being brought into union with the rest of the body. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful picture? Here's the reality for us today about what happens right here. And it's kind of characterized here in our text when he talks about Jew and Greek, slave and free. Reminds me of Galatians 3, 27, 28, does it you? Where as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. And if Christ then Abraham's seed heirs according to that promise. So right here on this ledge, ready to be baptized. Let's say this baptism takes place according to these texts. Doesn't really matter whether you're red, yellow, black, or white. 
When you come up out of that water, you are not a red Christian, a yellow Christian, a black Christian, a white Christian. You're just one in Christ. You're just a Christian, yes? Let's say this person is, I don't know, from Canada, from Mexico, from the United States. They're not a Canadian Christian when they come up out of that water, or an American Christian, or a Mexican Christian. They're just a Christian. Is that right? It's exactly right. When that person comes, having honestly dealt with their sin, and have repented of that sin, person who was a murderer, or a thief, an adulterer, a homosexual. When they submit in obedience to the gospel and they are buried in these waters and have their sins washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ, they don't come out as, oh, well, that's that person who once was a murderer. That's that person who was an adulterer. That person was a homosexual. I couldn't possibly have anything to do with them. That is not who comes out of this water. The person who comes out of this water is a person who has had their sins washed away. Simply a Christian. Is that right? Whoever you are, you know what you should do today? Drink. Drink into that one spirit. Reminds me of something Jesus famously said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 5. That unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Have you been born that way? Not just being dunked in water, but having believed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, wrestled with what repentance truly is, and made a change. Having come to the place where where you so identify with Jesus that you confess His name before any number and then be buried in that water to have your sins washed away, rising in newness of life, well nigh unto a miracle. If you've not gone through that process today, why not drink? If you're a child of God and you faltered in some way, you took advantage of what God offered, but... You have reneged on that commitment. Today's the day to make that right too. If we know better, we should always do better. If you need to respond today, now's your opportunity. Why don't you come if you need to while we stand together and sing.
cross, and the love of the cross was day of the week and we've come together to partake of the Lord's Supper. If you don't have an emblem, if you raise your hand, someone will provide one for you. If you'll bow with me now, we'll offer thanks for the bread. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for you for loving us enough that you would send your Son to this world to die on Calvary's cross for the forgiveness of our sins. We now offer you our thanks for this bread, which represents his body that was broken there. We pray, Father, that we might have our minds directed back to the cross and the sacrifice that was made there. Help us to partake of it in a way that will be acceptable in your sight. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. If you bow with me again. In like manner, Heavenly Father, we offer you our thanks for this, the fruit of the vine, which represents the blood that Christ shed on the cross for the remission of our sins. We pray, Father, also that as we partake of this, that we would do so in a way that would be acceptable to you. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.
Another obligation we have as Christians on the first day of the week is to lay by and store. We're told to do that as we've purposed, prospered, and that we're to do so cheerfully. We now have an opportunity to do that. And you'll notice on the screen behind me, there are several different uh, venues of, of how you can do that. And uh, we pray that uh, we all would do what God expects us to do. If you bow with me, we'll, we'll thank him for the blessings that he's given us. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thank, very thankful that we live in a country where we have the opportunity to have so many things. We have everything that we need, at least most of the time. We have most of the things that we want. We're so very blessed by you. Help us to realize there are less fortunate people in the world. There are people that have never heard or never will hear the gospel and that the contributions we make back to the, the cause of spreading the gospel may affect the eternity of a lot of people, numerous people. So help us to look into our hearts and to give liberally so that your word can be carried throughout the world. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Once again, good morning. Uh, it's good for uh, all of us to be here and, and worship God together. Uh, only a few uh, announcements. Got one more. So we, now we have a multitude. <laughs> good. We have a card. The card says, Dear church family, today marks one month since my husband, Eddie McCool, passed away from this life. I want to thank each and every one of you that prayed for both of us through the years. I especially would like to thank the church for the financial assistance provided to make sure Eddie's power bill was paid. It is of great comfort to me knowing that he wasn't cold and in the dark when he passed. Thank you for the meals brought, the cards, the calls, the hugs, all gestures that show your love for me. The love of Christ is evident. I can only tell you that I love you all, and no matter where life takes me, you all remain in my heart and will always be my church family, my earthly home, the place I love, feel safe. Love you all, Ruth McCool. In addition to that, we have a, a few uh, announcements today. Uh, regarding the lads, the leaders, we'll start off with that. Uh, just a reminder, please remember that the uh, deposit is due now. There, uh, please check the youth table as you go out the door on the left and put your fee in the box. Uh, today's last leader schedule is 7th uh, and 4th grade puppet teams will meet and attack following morning worship. Lunch will be provided. Uh, song leading and songs of praise at 345. Bible Bowl at 415. Uh, be, uh, those participating in Bible Bowl, uh, please remember to... Uh, that uh, the test will be given on Wednesday, March 9th at 6 p.m. and Sunday, March 13th at 4, 4, 4 p.m. You need to choose a time and be sure, be sure to bring your smart device. Uh, 
um, evidently for the test, which will be on the smart device. And also today we have girl speech in the TAC following evening classes tonight. Um, the Golden Circle will uh, meet this uh, coming Tuesday at 11.30 in the Annex. And then uh, there was today, there was 276 people here today. And if you can, tonight, return again at, the, at 5 o'clock when we will meet here once again. And then after services, we will have the soup and chili supper, which is being hosted by the SALT team number two. That's all the announcements that I have at this moment. If you will stand with me in prayer, and we'll be dismissed. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this hour of worship that you have given us without any distractions. Heavenly Father, we hope that we will take the things that we've studied about today, the encouragement that we've gained from singing songs of praises, and remembering your son's death on the cross. Heavenly Father, as we go out into the world now, we remember your instructions to be strong and to be courageous and to not be afraid and to not be discouraged because we know that your word is with us. Heavenly Father, forgive us of our sins as we learn to do your will better. Help us to be better Christians. And when somebody asks us, what type of Christian are we, that we can boldly respond to them and say a faithful Christian. Heavenly Father, this is our prayer in your son's name. Amen. Amen.